All right, brothers and sisters, uh, praises be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to study his words and his commands. Today, we'll talk about what happened to the 10 tribes of Israel. Last week, we talked about the kingdom. The kingdom was eventually divided, right? The house of Judah, the house of Israel. And so we're going to look at what happened to them after they disobeyed the words of God. Because we all know Yahuwah God gave through Moses blessings and curses the stipulations of the covenant, if they were to obey, they would be blessed. But if they were to disobey, they would suffer the consequences, which included the curses that were mentioned in the Torah. We talked about that some time ago. We will talk more about that in the future. However, what happened to Israel? When we say Israel, we're talking about the whole Israel or all of Israel. What happened to them because of disobedience? Let's read the book of 2 Kings 17, 18 to 20. So Yahuwah was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. And even Judah did not keep the commands of Yahuwah their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore, Yahuwah rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. So what happened to the people of Israel? Now, when we speak of Israel, both houses, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, what happened to them because of their disobedience? Bible says Yahuwah rejected all the people of Israel, both houses, because of their disobedience and gave them into the hands of plunderers. First, the Assyrians and next, the Babylonians. What also happened? And what is also included in the curses mentioned in the Torah. Let's read Deuteronomy 28, 64. Then Yahuwah will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Besides giving his people both houses, house of Judah, house of Israel, to their enemies, Yahuwah God says that he will also scatter them among all the nations. And so this is what we're going to look into in our study today. How was this fulfilled? Let's begin with Israel. Israel became captive of Assyria roughly around 722 BC. And so what happened to the captives what happened to the house of Israel when they were captives of the Assyrian Empire? Second Kings 17, 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the mean. So what happened to the people of Israel, the tribes of the house of Israel, the 10 tribes, what happened to them because of the Assyrian captivity? Bible says they were all taken away to a place then called Assyria. Of course, the Assyria then is no longer the Assyria today, right? Because things change. And so we know what happened to the people of Israel, the 10 tribes. They were taken to Assyria in selected places. And these places mentioned here in 2 Kings give us the boundaries of where they were taken. The Inhala, by the Habor, the river of Gozan, 
and in the cities of the means. Now, of course, it's going to take some detective work to figure out where these places that were indicated in 2 Kings are now today in the modern map. However, it's a good thing we have great resources, one of which is one I endorse, the God Culture. If you have time, go to the God Culture YouTube and you will find many, many resources concerning what happened to the 10 tribes. According to the research, they determined Habor, Allah, Media, River Gosan, and they looked at these boundaries and defined that the place where the 10 tribes went when they were taken captives by Assyria is, where we, is the place where we now call the Kurds, uh, Kurdistan. You see the yellow dots? On the map, it covers Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran. So those yellow dots represent Kurdistan, the Kurdish people. And so we believe, because the Bible tells us that the people of Israel, the 10 tribes, were taken to Kurdistan during those days of captivity. Now, what would happen to them? That's what we're going to find out. We'll look at that later on. So we know that Israel became captive of Assyria around 722 BC. Judah became captive of Babylon around 586 BC. However, before Babylon became completely uh, taken to, ba uh, before uh, Judah would be completely taken to Babylon, it took about 20 years because the Babylonian captivity in reality when you look at history, when you look at the Bible, it really started around 606 BC, and it was completed in 586 BC, roughly 20 years. And so it happened in stages. It was not like what happened to Israel with Assyria. It was one swoop, one deportation. With Babylon, it was several deportations because Yahuwah God was being patient with the house of Judah, but despite what was happening, they still rejected the warning of Yahuwah, and they still rejected the prophets, including the prophet Jeremiah. So eventually, the captivity was completed in 586 BC. It started in 606 BC. However, this captivity in Babylon, according to the prophet Jeremiah, how long was it going to last? Only 70 years. This is why Ezra chapter 1, 1 down to 3, writes about the end of the Babylonian captivity. In Ezra 1, 1 to 3, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of Yahuwah spoken by Jeremiah, because Jeremiah prophesied, yes, they'll be taken captives into Babylon, but they will stay there only 70 years. Yahuwah moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Yahuwah, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And so after 70 years, what happened? 
Cyrus was moved by Yahuwah God. He is the man from the north that we talked about concerning prophecy because Cyrus the king would eventually overtake or destroy Babylon. What does that mean? It means now the one who gets to call the shots was who? Cyrus. Guess what? Who controls him? It was Yahuwah our God. So what does Yahuwah God do concerning Cyrus? He moves the heart of Cyrus to make a decree to let the people of Israel go back to their land in Jerusalem to build the temple. So the captivity would be officially ended around 536 BC because uh, Judah would now be allowed to go back to Jerusalem to build the temple and to continue worshiping Abba. However, when this edict came out, when Cyrus announced to the people of Judah who lived in Babylon, it's time for you to go back to your homeland to rebuild the temple and its walls, how many came back, how many returned to Judah? Ezra 2.64, so a total of 42,360 people returned to Judah. Not many. Many decided to stay in Babylon. But there was a remnant who went back to Judah. How many? 42,360. What was the composition of the 42,360? Well, according to the list of Ezra chapter 2, because if you look at Ezra, it shows you the breakdown of the tribes. And in Ezra chapter 2, of the 42,360 who returned to Judah, 30,360 of them came from the tribe of Judah. Other 12, 000, the other 12,000 whose lineage were missing uh, were from the other tribes who had escaped to Judah and had not gone into the Assyrian captivity, but were taken with Judah into Babylon. And so what we find here is that when Judah returned back to Israel or to, Jude, uh, to Judah, to Jerusalem, most of them were from the tribe of Judah. There were a handful, sparse amount of people from different tribes, but mostly the big chunk came from Judah. And so when our king Yahushua was fulfilling his earthly ministry, when he was preaching in uh, Israel, quote unquote, right? When he was preaching in Judah, in Jerusalem, his audience, they were from the tribe of Judah. But these people from Judah who came from uh, Babylon, they became different from Israel during the days of Solomon and David. And we'll talk about that in the future episodes of our study. But just understand this for now. When our king returns, it was mostly the tribe of Judah. Israel, the ten tribes, were not represented. They were not there. Now, of course, there were maybe certain individuals, 10, 20, so on and so forth. But for the most part, it was just the tribe of Judah, some Levites, because the Levites were dispersed, not just with the 10 tribes, but also with the other two tribes. But mostly Judah is what our king Yahusha would find. What happened to the 10 tribes of Israel, according to Second, the book of Second Kings, which some scholars say was compiled by Ezra. And so during the days of Ezra, even post-exilic times, 
Ezra says that those who were taken to Assyria up to that day, they were still in the land of Assyria. They were not able to return back to their homeland in Samaria. And so when our King Yahushua was here on earth, fulfilling his ministry, preaching the gospel, the tribe, the 10 tribes of Israel were mostly missing. Matthew 10, 5 to 6 in some uh, Yahushua says that these 12 Yahushua sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here's our King Yahushua. He tells his 12 disciples, when you preach the gospel, don't go to the city of the Samaritans. You know why? Because Samaria, during the days of Yahushua here on earth, were composed of people who were not of Israel. You see, when the captivity was over, those in Assyria, the 10 tribes, were not able to return to Samaria. This is why our King Yahushua says, in the city of the Samaritans, don't go there. Because you're not going to find the 10 tribes of Israel there. What did our King Yahushua says concerning the 10 tribes when he was here on earth? They were still lost. They're not in Samaria. They did not make it back. But they're somewhere else. And so our King Yahushua says, that's what we need to look for. This is why in Matthew 15, 24, he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so one of his purposes was to bring together, to gather together the house of Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel, Ephraim, which we studied I think last Tuesday, we talked about Ephraim. So this is the mission, one of the missions of our king, Yahusha. Even James says in 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Yahusha Christ, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greeting. So during the days of Yahusha and the apostles here on earth, the tribes of Israel were still scattered among the nations. They did not return to Samaria. Unlike Judah, who was able to return to Jerusalem, okay? The 10 tribes, they still remained lost. The lost 10 tribes of Israel. Not only, so Yahusha confirms it. The apostles confirm it. Not only that, but a historian, a famous Jewish historian who lived from 37 to 180, also confirmed it in his book, Antiquities. The 10 tribes are beyond the Euphrates, Till now, and are an immense multitude, not to be estimated by numbers. And so, according to the historian Josephus, where were the ten tribes when our King Yahusha was here in the first century? Bible says they were scattered beyond the Euphrates. So they were across the Euphrates. So they were far away from. Jerusalem. So they were not present when our King Yahusha was preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Well, what happened to them? Why do we believe that when our King Yahusha was, was here on earth in Jerusalem in the first century, that the house of Judah, the house of Israel, remained disjointed? Well, here's a prophetic uh, teaching from Ezekiel. 
Take note, Ezekiel was a post-exilic prophet. And this is what he says in 37, 19 and 22. Say to them, this is what sovereign Yahuwah says, I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick, making them a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on, and say to them, this is what sovereign Yahuwah says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them. And they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. So this is going to happen in the latter times. What will happen? The two houses. House of Judah, the house of Israel, or the house of Ephraim, or the house of Joseph. There's so many ways to depict Ephraim. They will be joined together, and they will become one stick, right? And there's going to be one king. They're going to be in their land and rule forevermore. This is going to be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. But before the millennial kingdom takes place, what needs to happen? The prophecies in the prophets that speak of the gathering, the bringing together of the tribes of Israel and the tribe of Judah. We know what happened to Judah. After the captivity, they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to rebuild its walls and its temple. However, what happened 70 AD? It was destroyed again, right? What happened to the tribe of Judah? What happened to them, the house of Judah, in 70 AD? According to prophecy in Isaiah and also historical documents, they were dispersed in Egypt, Bathros, and Cush. These are the places we now call Central Egypt or Central Africa. So they went there. So the great bulk of from the tribe of Judah went to Africa, Egypt, Bathros, and Cush. However, the question that remains, where did the 10 tribes go, right? Because they were not there when our King Yahusha was there. Where did they go? We need to find out. So let's go ahead and investigate. Let's go back to 2 Kings uh, 17.6. We know that they were taken to Assyria, and Assyria today is found in Kurdistan, which is along the borders of the Habor, the Hala, the River Gosan, and Media. So that is Kurdistan in that area. That is where the captives of the, the 10 tribes were taken. However, when the captives were taken to Assyria, what did the king of Assyria decide to do? Second King 1724. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. What happened? After the tribes of Israel were deported, right, from Samaria to Assyria. Well, the king decided we have to fill up the vacancy. And what did he do? 
he decided to bring people from different places, Babylon, Kuta, Abba, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and took them to Samaria to replace the children of Israel. So there was like a swap. So Israel, they were taken to Assyria, and to replace them, the king of Assyria brought people from different lands. However, what happened when they were in Samaria? They were, they were being killed by lions. This was because they were not worshiping Yahuwah. That was the conclusion of the king and his advisors. And so what did the king decide to do? Look, 2 Kings 17, 27 to 28. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one, right? One of the priests you took captive from Samaria, go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship Yahuwah. And so all these different people are in Samaria, right? And one person was selected out of the captives, a priest, one priest was taken to Samaria to teach the people there about Yahuwah and to worship Yahuwah. So you might be thinking, that's good, right, Brother John? Well, it could be good, but what happened? Let's read uh, 29 to 33. Nevertheless, each national group made its own gods in the several towns when they, where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The men from Babylon made Sukoth Benoth. The men from Kuthan made Nergal. And the men from Hamath made Ashima. The Avites made Nibash and Tartak, and the Sephirvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adremelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. They worshiped Yahuwah, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshiped Yahuwah, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. Yeah, there was a priest that was brought into Samaria to teach the people how to worship Yahuwah. But what was the problem? Bible says they worship Yahuwah, but they also appointed all sorts of people to officiate for them. What else? Bible says they worship Yahuwah, but they also worship other gods. In other words, what happened was syncretism, a mixture, a mixing of different religions that just so happened is Yahuwah was included. Here's my question. When you mix Yahuwah's religion with other forms of religion, is that something Yahuwah God approves of? No, it's called idolatry. And this is what we fight against ever since the very beginning. During the days of Israel, during the days of the, the, the Filipinos, when, when the, uh, Magellan, Pigafetta were there and the Spaniards came, it was this problem of syncretism, trying to mix different religions together. And this is what we fight against even in the last days. Because the Bible says what we're going to go up against is a religion that will mix all these religions under the banner of the Antichrist. We're going to talk more about that. But we need to understand now, this is where it came from. But in actuality, it came from the Tower of Babel. It's a system of Babylonia. And it's a system of mixing together human religion in an attempt to reject Yahuwah God and to promote humanity. 
we need to be aware of this movement because it is alive and well. It's the banner that will be used by the Antichrist. And we can see its effect here in 2 Kings 17, 29, 33, when people choose for themselves how to have their own version, their own religion. We have to be careful of that. People who say it doesn't matter how you worship God. No, it does matter. It matters to Yahuwah Abba. And so this is what happened to Samaria, right? So in Samaria to this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship Yahuwah nor adhere to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands that Yahuwah gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he named Israel. This is why when after the Assyrian captivity, when Babylon overcame Assyria and the people of Assyria were free to go, this was why Yahuwah God did not allow that his people returned to Samaria. Because if the 10 tribes were to go back to Samaria, what would happen to their religion? It would be mixed up, right? It would become the Samaritan religion. That's what Yahusha found in Samaria, the Samaritan religion. But Yahuwah wanted to keep pure the, the religion of the 10 tribes. So where did they go? Where did Yahuwah's people go? The 10 tribes who were taken to Assyria after the Assyrian captivity. Jeremiah 31, 10 to 11, we find a clue here. Hear the word of, Yahush, of Yahuwah, all nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, okay? And say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For Yahuwah has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. So what happened to the 10 tribes of Israel? They did not go back to their homeland. They did not go back to Samaria. Instead, where did Yahuwah God plant them or sow them? In the isles afar off. And so, according to Jeremiah, instead of going back to their homeland, the 10 tribes went afar off, a far off place. This is what Josephus was talking about. James was talking about in the isles in a far off place. Where is this far off place? And why are we sure? Who also prophesied about this? Isaiah 49, 1 to 3. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far. When it says far, it speaks of the ends of the earth. Far in the far east. Yahuwah hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. Hath he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So Israel was taken to the isles in a far off land, far from Samaria, far from Jerusalem. Why are we sure? The ones being spoken of here pertains to the tribes of Jacob. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 6, indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you be my, you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob's and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of 
the earth. And so according to Isaiah, there are people from the tribes of Jacob who were taken to the isles in a far off place in the ends of the earth, far from Jerusalem, far from Samaria. We believe that is the Philippines because we talked about this in our last study that the Philippines and Ophir and Tarshish and Sheba, they're one place, the isles of the sea. Now, question is this, how on earth, how did the 10 tribes get to the Philippines, right? How did they get there? Did they walk there? Did they jog there? No. However, the Bible does not specify. However, we can look for historical documents. We can look for clues that will tell us what happened to the 10 tribes of Israel, how they went from Assyria, right? That's where they were taken, all the way to the Isles of the Sea in the far east. We know that happened because the Bible tells us so. However, how they went from Assyria to the Far East, the Bible does not specify. However, there's a historical book that does specify that, the book of 2nd Esdras. Now, the book of 2nd Esdras is not included in the 66 books. So we're not here to tell you the book of Esdras is a canonical book. It could be, it could not be. However, at least, at the very least, it is a historical document. You know, in the Holy Bible, sometimes you find like the book of Enoch, I mean, like uh, the book of Jude, where it mentions and quotes a passage of the Bible in a different book that's not in the 66 books, like the book of Enoch. I mean, the book, the book of Jude. Jude quotes Enoch, right? Do you know who quoted from Second Esdras as well? It's not in the 66 book, 2nd Esdras, but there's someone I think you truly uh, respect that quoted from the book of 2nd Esdras. Do you know who that is? <laughs> Our King Yahushua. Yeah. In Matthew 23, 20, 37 to 38, King Yahushua quoted 2nd Esdras 1, 32, 33. It's not included in the 66 books. Maybe it should be, but that's not... The point of our discussion today, point is second Esdras was quoted by Matthew. And today we're going to use it as a historical document. What does it say in second Esdras? Second Esdras 13, 39 or 40. And whereas thou sawest that he be gathered another peace, peaceable multitude. There's a multitude unto him. Those are the 10 tribes which were carried away prisoners out of their own land in the time of Osea, the king whom Salmanazar, the king of Assyria, led away captive, and, take note, he carried them over the waters. And so, they, and so came they into another land. So according to this book, 2nd Ezra's, what happened to the 10 tribes that were taken to Assyria? They were taken over the waters, right? Into another land. The Bible calls it the isles in the far off, place okay that's where the 10 tribes were taken well how were they taken there let's keep reading but they took this counsel among themselves that they would leave the multitude of the heathen and go forth into a further country which never mankind dwelt that they might there keep their statutes where they never which they never kept in their own land 
and they entered into the Euphrates by the narrow places of the river. For the Most High then showed signs for them and held still the flood till they were passed over. For through that country, there was a great way to go, namely of a year and a half. And the same region is called As-Areth. And so according to Second Esdras, the way the 10 tribes would go to this far off place requires a journey of about how long? A year and a half. And so it could be a mixture of uh, by land and by sea, but a year and a half. And how were they going to get to the destination, which is, which is Ar-Sareth? Now, we haven't gone over Ar-Sareth, but Eretz in Hebrew means earth or land. And there are many scholars who believe Ar-Sareth means the land where creation uh, the land it refer, refers to the land of creation, which is Elba, somewhere in the Isles of the Sea. We're not going to study about Arsareth today, but that's also something that we can look into in future studies. And so, according to this book, the ten tribes were given a path along the Euphrates by the narrow places of the river. And it will take a journey of a year and a half, according to studies. When you are to calculate, when you know the speed, for example, of how ships would go from place to place and their speed, according to several studies, if you go from around as Yon Geber, which is where Solomon had his ports, to Yemen, it would take 50 days one way. Ethiopia, 57 days one way. India. 154 days one way to the Philippines, one year, one way, right? Approximately. But of course, it could be a mixture of um, going by ship and also going by uh, land. And so what possible path could they have taken? They said to follow, it's along the Euphrates River, and then it becomes narrow, and it leads up to an opening, an opening to the Persian Gulf, because when you look at uh, Kurdistan, right? Kurdistan is around that area. And they follow across the Euphrates River. It leads them to that spot right there, to the Persian Gulf. Guess what? From the Persian Gulf, um, which is right there, it leads to an opening to the Indian Ocean. From the Indian Ocean, right, from the Persian Gulf, this is the Persian Gulf, go to the Indian Ocean, and it leads to a path to the Philippines. A path requires about one year of sailing time. And so one year uh, to travel by sea and approximately six months uh, to travel by land across the Euphrates to get to the Persian Gulf. Is it plausible? Yes, it is plausible, okay? But take a notice. I want you to notice something in the Persian Gulf. There's something that stands out in the Persian Gulf. Do you know what that is? Because the Persian Gulf and the surrounding area, those are Arab lands, Muslims. That's why the names are Muslims and Arabian, 
Arabic, right? But there's one word that is so different from its surrounding. It jumps out at you. I don't know if you see it. Do you see the name of a place that jumps out at you because it's so different from the rest? Look at the map. What jumps out at you because it's so different from the rest? Right? The rest is like Arabic. But this one is, mm, this is not Arabic. What is it? Huh? Qatar. <laughs> Qatar. The word Qatar, the name that was used there, is a Hebrew word. What does that mean? Well, in Hebrew, Qatar, right? Did you guys know that was Hebrew? Qatar means incense to burn, offer, kindle, offering. And so when they went to Qatar, which is by the Gulf, right? Right to the Gulf. They were waiting for ships. What ships were they waiting for, by the way? What ships were they waiting for? The ships of Tarshish. Because the Israel already had a relationship with the ships of Tarshish who came from Ophir. And so the ships would provide them a way to go from the Persian Gulf to Ophir or to the Philippines. And so while they were there waiting for the ships, why? Because they celebrated and were thankful to Yehovah Abba for bringing them there and giving, the, giving them an opportunity to start anew in a different land, right? What do they do? Well, in Qatar, Qatar means offer, burn, uh, offering, kindle. And so what do you think the name of Qatar is? It is a place where they burn offerings to offer to Yahuwah. And so it's significant because it tells us something happened in that place. The 10 tribes were there awaiting the ships of Tarshish. And while they were waiting, they were worshiping Abba, burning offering to him. This is why it's called Qatar. And so now we need to determine whether or not the Philippines is indeed the Ophir, the Tarshish, that was spoken of in the Holy Bible. And there are so many who have done research on Ophir, so many different researchers. And again, I would like to take you to to God culture and look at their research concerning Ophir. And there's overwhelming evidence that point to the Philippines as the place of Ophir, Tarshish, and Sheba. Overwhelming evidence. Just to give you a sampling of the kind of research that was uncovered, uh, what is the proof that the Philippines is Ophir? Well, according to historical documents like this one, about Magellan's voyage, Sebastian Cabo was hired by the king of Spain to return to Tarshish and Ophir just north of Malaysia. The king records the Philippine area as Ophir and Tarshish. So this was before the Spanish colonization of the Philippines. It was known by the king that this place that we now call the Philippines is Ophir and Tarshish, north of Malaysia. And there can only be one country, and that is the Philippines. How else do we know besides historical documents? Because this is not the only one, by the way. There's tons of historical documents that show that the people long ago knew that the Philippines was Ophir. However, besides historical documents, what also is strong evidence that the Philippines is Ophir. Well, what is Ophir known for? 
What is Ophir known for? It is a land of gold. Did you know gold mining began in the Philippines before 1000 BC? That's a long time ago, according to Manan Salim Walker, Encyclopedic Dictionary of Archaeology. Not only that, based on archaeological evidence, gold artifacts appear as early as 400 to 250 BC in the Philippines Some, and Palawan other excavations like the ones at Gui Cave, Palawan, have a jar burial assemblage, a date between 300 and 500 BC. Among the artifacts recovered were gold beads. And so we have archaeological evidence here in the Philippines that tell us that gold artifacts appeared even as far back as 500 BC. Other sources tell us even before 1000 BC. The Bible tells us around 700 B, or 900 BC, right, during the days of Solomon. Pieces of gold the size of walnuts and eggs are found by sifting the earth in, in, in the island, Mindanao. And that king, Butuan, who came to our ships. This was written by Pigafetta in 1521. Who was Pigafetta? It was a scholar who went with who? Magellan, right, when they circumnavigated the world. And so when, he, when they went to the Philippine Islands, they saw pieces of gold the size of walnuts and eggs found by sifting the earth. Can you imagine that? Sifting the earth and you have gold pieces the size of walnuts and eggs. My goodness. No wonder it's called Ophir is the land of gold. And in modernity, during the modern times, independent confirmation of the Philippines gold. Not only that, according to Forbes, New York Times, and other site and other site study indicating the Philippines as number two on Earth in untapped gold deposits in the ground. This is untapped as of present. Okay, number two, South Africa is number one, but it's four times the size. Additionally, take note: South Africa's gold rush did not begin until 1884 A.D. Considering the Philippines has been producing gold since even before 1000 BC, the Philippines, when it, when, when it comes to the historical context, by far is number one in gold in history. It is the land of gold. This is why it is Ophir. So we have historical documents. We have gold. What else shows that? Well, another a quote from Pigafetta, after midday when they were in Cebu, I wish to return to the ships and they discovered what a ships called balangay. These are Filipino ships. The balangay were full of men. And in some of his writings, 100 men on one side. And that's a large ship. In some of his estimations, 80 feet long. And there were like 30 or 20 balangays that he saw together. That tells you that the Filipinos, before Magellan came, they were into maritime activities. They were ship builders, ship merchants, and they discovered these ships. And when they did archaeological digs, the balangay, Austronesian word for sailboat used for transportation, cargo, and trading, Professor Adrian Horridge believes that by 200 BC, uh, Austronesian sailors were regularly carrying clothes, cinnamon to India and Sri Lanka, and perhaps even as far as the coast of Africa in sailboats with outriggers. They discovered this in Butuan, boats that were large. 
in three, as early as 320 AD, but we know as early as 200 BC and even before that, they were already using boats to go from uh, Ophir to other places across the globe for trade. And not only that, you know what they found in these ships? They found these stamps or seals. And when you look at the seal, it contains Hebrew hieroglyphics or Hebrew characters. These are the Hebrew characters on the left. And when you look at the Hebrew characters found in these stamps or in these seals, it gives you the following story. Look at it. It says tent, clay, priest, yoke, scatter. It speaks of the 10 tribes of Israel who lived in tents like Rechabites. Well, they were there in the islands of the sea. Some acted as priests because they were because of the Rechabite promise. And they yoked themselves into that land as they were scattered. Isn't that amazing? These are seals found along with the Butuan ships that they discovered. Not only that, even more amazingly, when you look at the, the land of the Philippines and the cities and the places there, they are actually Hebrew names. Batangas, Romblon, Masbate, Kalamian, Cagayan, all of them throughout the Philippine archipelago. The names of mountains, of rivers, of seas, of lakes, of cities, of archipelagos, they are Hebrew. This is why, according to a Hebrew scholar, when they looked at the Philippine language, they said at the end of the workshop, one mother tongue translator remarked that had he known of the parallels between Philippine languages and biblical Hebrew, he would have found the learning of the latter much easier. His remark led me to raise the matter with a couple of seminary professors who teach Hebrew in Manila. It eventually transpired that their seminary professors had made little or no reference to the similarities between biblical Hebrew and the Philippine languages. And so many, not only were the lands where we get the names of different places and different mountains and rivers across the Philippine archipelagos, not only do they come from Hebrew roots, even the language of the Philippines, Tagalog, is very similar to Hebrew. Phonetically, I mean, look at Abba, right? What is Abba in Hebrew? Father, what do we call in Tagalog? What is dad in Tagalog? Ama, right? Very familiar, phonetically. How about mother? What is mother in Hebrew? You know what, what mother in Hebrew is? Ima, Ima, that's mother in Hebrew, right? Philippines, isn't that also what's used to refer to the mother, Ima? So these are just but examples, but would you look at uh, the following, Mount Kulag, tallest mountain. It's in Hebrew. It means variant of Peleg, brother of Joktan. It was divided, right? Mindoro, Hebrew, comes from two Hebrew words, min and door. Min is kind, species, door, generations. So a possible interpretation of Mindoro is from which came the species and its generations, which is actually quite fitting for Mindoro. You know why? Because when we look at Mindoro, when we look at the Philippines in general, according to biologists, right? 
the Philippines is not only part of the center, but is in fact the epicenter of marine biodiversity with the richest concentration of marine life on the entire planet. Take a look at the meaning of Mindoro again, from which came the species and its generations. And so it's but fitting that the center of marine biodiversity is the Philippines, not only, but the center of the Philippines where we find the center of biodiversity, you know where it's at? Mindoro. The Philippines sits at the heart of the Coral Triangle, the global center of marine biodiversity, about halfway between the provinces of Batangas and Mindoro. The Verde Island Passage boasts the highest concentration of marine species in the planet. Isn't that nice? What else? Ta'al, look at ta'al, Hebrew, ta'al, called out or summoned for a specific purpose. Masbate comes from two words in Hebrew, mas and batem. Forced laborers, that's what mas means, batem, came. Forced laborers, captives, came, right? The captives came to the Philippines. Bohol, to come, uh, bohol comes from two words, bo and hol. To come and go is bo, hol means sand, usually the sand of seashore, simile of numberlessness, vastness, so of Abraham's sea. This is why Josephus and other scholars, when they refer to Israel, it's as the sand of the sea. We find that in Hosea chapter 1 verse 10 and Isaiah chapter 10 verse 10, we find Israel, the house of Israel, being as number as the sand of the sea, bohol. What else? Palawan, Hebrew. Pala and Hebrew awan, uh, to be surpassing or extraordinary to the eye or to look at. And if you go to Palawan, it's, it's an apt description, isn't it? And so those are just examples. But throughout the Philippine archipelago, you'll find names that you thought were Tagalog. But in actuality, they're what? They're Hebrew. They're Hebrew. So when you look at the historical documents, when you look at the gold, the boat, the archaeological digs, when you look at the names and the language of the Philippines, it all points to our Hebrew heritage. Brethren, we are Hebrew. We are Hebrew. We are part of the 10 tribes of Israel that were lost. They were taken to the isles of the sea. And the evidence points to this reality. One more name I want to take up. And this is Maharlika. Right, and Maharlika is a former name associated with the Philippines. For some reason, uh, when we think of Maharlika, it, it, we associate that with the name of the Philippines a long time ago. Um, and just recently, President Duterte, back in 2019, I think, or 19, he wanted to propose to rename Philippines Maharlika, right? Maharlika, which is appropriate because Maharlika in Hebrew comes from two words. Mahar and leka. Mahar, leka. Mahar means what? To acquire by paying a purchase price. Like dowry. Like for a wife to wed. Leka means what? Possession. Two, four of you indicating possession. When you put the two words together, it comes up to the meaning. His bride redeemed with a price. You know what that tell, what's that, what's that telling us? The people in the islands of the sea represent the bride that was redeemed with a price. What does the bride refer to? Isn't that the assembly? This is why we're not surprised that the 
Philippines, the Isles of the Sea will have a big role when it comes to the preparations that need to be made before Yahushua, our king, will return. Okay, so we have these clues so far. We have historical documents, right? We have gold, we have archaeology, we have the names. What else? I mean, if we were to ask you, what is the sign of the Hebrews? What would it be? The sign of the Hebrews. Because if you find this sign of the Hebrews in the Philippines, and you know there must be a connection there. What is the sign of the Hebrews? Let's find out. The book of Genesis 17, 9 to 11. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So what is uh, the sign of the Hebrews? What's the sign of the Hebrews? What's the sign of Israel? Physical sign. It is circumcision. Let's ask. In the Philippines, uh, according to GMA News in 922, 2012, according to a report on the state of the nation in May last year, 93% of Filipino males are circumcised. Is that a sign? I think so, right? So we have historical document, we have the gold, we have archaeological digs, we have the language and names of places, all point to Hebrew origins. We have circumcision, which point to our Hebrew origin. What else? Before Pigafetta came, before the Spaniards came to our land, to the Philippines, in the Philippines, the Isles of the Sea, in the far, in the far off place, before the Spaniards came, how did they worship? How did the people in the islands worship? Let's take a look. Then he asks Pigafetta, interviewing the people living there, uh, from his book, The First Voyage Around the World by Antonio Pigafetta. Then he asked whether they were Moors or Gentiles and in what they believed. They answered that they did not perform any other adoration. There was no mixture of worship. Did you notice that? Okay, that's the first thing. But only joined their hands, looking up to heaven, and that they called their God, what did it say? Abba. Hearing this, the captain was very joyful on seeing that the first king raised his hands to the sky and said that he wished it were possible for him to be able to show the affection which he felt towards him. These were people who were filled with love. <laughs> what was their religion? They were worshiping idols? Yeah? No. Were they practicing the religion of the Moors, the Gentiles? No. What religion did they practice? Pure religion. What did they do? They worshiped who? Abba. And so before the Spaniards came, their worship were pure. They called their God Abba. What does Abba mean? Remember, they were asked the question, who is your God? What was your religion? They said, there's only one God. Abba. Okay. Abba is their only true God. Well, what does that mean? What does that indicate? Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That shows they, they have the spirit of God. They called 
their God, Abba, Father. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, who also called God Abba, Mark 14, 36, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not I what I will, but what you will. Yahushua calls God Abba. And so the early worshipers, right, the people in the islands of the sea before the Spaniards came, did they practice a true religion? Yeah. They believed in one true God. Who is that? The Father. The Spaniards came. And what did they do? They gave him the cross. They gave him the Virgin Mary. And then they gave him the Trinity. What does the Trinity say? Three gods in one person. Was it just Abba? No more just Abba. Now it's Abba, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What is that called? Syncretization. A mixing of religion. Something has to be done in the Philippines. This is why Brother Felix Manalo was sent to introduce the Father as the only true God. Why? Because the Spaniards came. And the Spaniards brought with them their own version of God. That happens to be false, false, and false. Because the only truth about God is he's one. And he is Abba. Not Abba and the Son. Not Abba and the Holy Spirit. But Abba is the only true God. This was the pure religion. That is not mixed in with pagan beliefs and ideas. Because when you look at the Trinity, it has Yahuwah there, but it's mixed in with other religions, other beliefs. We have to remove that. This was the purpose of Brother Felix Manalo, to preach the Father is the only true God. And not only you know, when the, when, uh, the uh, early Filipinos were there, the Ophirians were there in Ophir, and they worshiped God, I believe. They also had the correct name. Why? Because Sheba, remember Queen of Sheba? And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Yahuwah. So she knew the people in Sheba, which is Ophir. They knew about the name of Abba. And so we can see here, the one of the purposes of restoration is not only to restore the true knowledge about God, that he's the father, but that the Father's name is what? Yahuwah. Do you see that? Do you see the work of restoration slowly being done today? People being introduced concerning who God is. He's the Father. The Father alone. But not only that. His name is Yahuwah. Unfortunately, the, the Spaniards came and their purpose was not only to colonize the Philippines, but also to bring the religion. Right? And they were pretty successful. Because according to AsiaSociety.org, the Philippines boasts... More than 86% of the population is Roman Catholic. So many people today in the Philippines believe that God is the Trinity. Isn't that true? How many people believe in the name of God in the Philippines? Not many. Not many. And so that's the work the assembly of Yahusha needs to do. Why do we need to do that? According to Yahuwah Abba, what would happen? What is to become of those who are in the isles of the sea in the far off place. Let's read Jeremiah 31, 10 to 11. Hear the word of Yahuwah, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off. And say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. 
for Yahuwah has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. And so what is Yahuwah going to do with the people, the 10 tribes who are in Israel, who are in the Philippines, who are in the Isles, who are afar off? What is Yahuwah God going to do? It says in the verse. What does it say? He will gather them, right? He's going to gather. He who scattered Israel will gather him. And so the one who scattered the 10 tribes and brought them into the Philippines and the islands of the sea will be the same one, Yahuwah, who's going to bring them together, beginning in the Philippines. You see that? Why is the one who will gather them? Why was he the one who scattered them in the first place? Because there was a purpose for his scattering. If you still remember Hosea and the name Jezreel, right? There was a purpose. When Yahuwah got punished Israel, he was still full of grace and he had a plan. This is why Jezreel means God sows. Even though they were no longer a, a, a people receiving the mercy of God, eventually Yahuwah is going to change that because he will redeem. He will redeem Jacob. And after that redemption is done, now God will weep and the people will become his people and he will give mercy to his people. They will come from the isles, the number of the children of Israel. How many, how many will they become? Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Behold, that's how many. And so what Yahuwah planted, a time will come when there's going to be as many as the sand of the sea. And now what will he do? He will reap, right? He planted, he sowed. Time will come in the ends of time when the age of the, age of the earth is going to end. Right before judgment day, right before the appearing of Yahusha, what will Yahuwah God do? He will reap now from the islands of the sea because that's where he started his planting. That's where he sowed Israel, right? But how many will respond? Let's read Isaiah 10, 22, 23. Though your people, O Israel, be like the sand by the sea. What does it say? Only a, only a remnant will return. Return where? Return not only to Yahusha, but also return to the land of Israel. Remember, the promises will be fulfilled finally and completely in the millennial kingdom. But in the millennial kingdom, at the outset, at the outset of the millennial kingdom, only a remnant is going to make it. A remnant from the isles of the street, the sea. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord Yahuwah Almighty will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. So only a remnant will make it. And so what do we need to do now? We need to be responsive to what Yahuwah God is doing. We need to be responsive to the work of His Spirit. Because what is Yahuwah Abba doing now? Now that we need to respond to. Isaiah 11, 11 and 12, it shall, it shall come to pass in that day. That Yahuwah shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Why? 
Must we be responsive to the voice, the spirit of Yahuwah Abba? Because he is working now. And what does he want to do? Bible says, Yahuwah, for a second time, what will he do? He will set his hand a second time to gather the remnant of his people who are left. Why does it say a second time? Did he do this before? Yeah. When he set his hand to bring from Babylon the people of Judah, right? But the people of Judah, what did they do with Mashiach? They rejected Mashiach. And so Judah and Israel remain captives. But the Bible says, when the end is near, Yahuwah, for a second time, is going to reach his hand. And this time, he will bring the remnant of his people from different places of the world. Where are they from? Take note. Some from Egypt, Pathros, and Cush. Does that sound familiar? Egypt, Pathros, and Cush. Does that sound familiar? It should. That represents who? Judah. The house of Judah. That was dispersed in Egypt, Pathros, and Cush. From Egypt, Pathros, and Cush. They went to America, they went to South America, some went to Europe, okay? So this is uh, Judah. But not only Egypt, Pathos, and Cush, where else? From Assyria, Elam, Shinar, and Hamath. Where is that? Kurdistan. Kurdistan. But if you notice, there's one more. The islands of the sea. Where is that? That's the Philippines. And so what is Yahuwah God doing now? He's bringing together the people, the people who belong to him, the tribe of Israel, the tribe of Judah. He is bringing together. And what will they do? They will set up a banner. You notice that in verse 12? They will come together under one banner. And what is that banner? 11.10. And in that day there shall be, as, be a root of Jesse. Who shall stand as a banner to the people. Who is that banner? The root of Jesse. And so this banner is for all the people. Yahuwah God wants to bring together his tribes. The tribe of Israel. The house of Israel. The house of Judah. Under one banner. The banner of the root of Jesse. Who is that? John 11, 51-52. Now this he did not say on his own authority. Caiaphas was the one speaking. But being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Yahushua would die for the nation. And not only for the, not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so there are the ten tribes of Israel scattered abroad. Yahushua is going to gather them because he's going to be the banner. This is why we bring people and point them to Yahushua. He is the banner. It is he who will unite us together. It is he who will be the one king. When the house of Judah and the house of Israel will be united as a kingdom there in the land of Israel. This will take place during the millennium. But before that, the movement is going to be manifested. It's happening now. Now it's happening now. This is why, because we belong to Yahusha and he is our banner. And he is the one who will become and is our king. What must we do as mandated and commanded by our king and Mashiach? Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things 
that I have commanded you in love. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What is the command of our king? Because we have already responded. This is why we have accepted the name of Abba. We believe he is the only true God. We have accepted the name of Yahushua. We belong to his assembly because we belong to our King Yahushua and we carry his banner, assembly of Yahushua. What is our duty as commanded by our king? The Bible says, make disciples of all nations. This is why we must proclaim the commandments taught to us by Yahushua. And so we are making an appeal today to all the 12 tribes of Israel who are scattered abroad, whether it be Africa or Kurdistan or the 12 tribes from Europe, from North America, South America, throughout the world, we must gather together. We must unite. We must receive the baptism commanded by our King, Yahushua. This is why we invite you all know more about the assembly and ask that you can be included in the core beliefs Bible study that we're going to begin in August. If you want to know more about the Assembly of Yahushua, if you want to receive that baptism, please submit your contact information. It was sent info at assemblyofyahusha.org because what we're doing is the work of bringing together the people of God, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, all the Gentiles together under the headship of Mashiach, Yahusha HaMashiach. This is what we will pray for. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, yes. Almighty God, Yahuwah, yes. we know the purpose of your work yes. to bring together the house of Judah, yes. the house of Israel, to have one head, your beloved son, our king, Yahusha HaMashiach. Father, help us to be your instruments to proclaim this truth as now it has been proclaimed. Father, loving Abba, we trust that you will use what we have done as, your in, as an instrument, that you will plant in the hearts of many the message therein, because it is your message. It is your desire to bring together under the banner of our King Yahushua, those who belong to you. Help us to restore proper worship, beginning yes. with the proper understanding of who you are. Yes. You are Abba, Yahuwah God, yes. the only true God. Ah. Help us, Father, to proclaim that with boldness, yes. even though most of people who claim that they are Christians, they believe in the Trinity. Yes. We know that the Father, you, Abba, are the only true God. Help us to preserve yes. and to boldly proclaim this truth yes. and help us to proclaim your name yes. because we know this is what you want people to understand, the meaning of your precious name, yes. Yahuwah, that we must love and worship Amen. our King Yahushua. Yes. We have responded to your voice. Yes. We have done our part. Yes. We will wait for you to do yours. Yes. Please, loving Mashiach, yes. as we fulfill our duties, be with each and every one of us. Yes. We want so many more to understand the purpose of yes. this work, especially members of our families, yes. loved ones who are imprisoned by traditions of men. Yes. Please, loving Mashiach, 
give them the opportunity yes. to receive and respond to this message yes. that we will be together in yes. one flock gathered by Abba through you, yes. that we may worship you, Yahushua, yes. and our Abba, Yahuwah. Father, please be with your people. Yes. Help us when we are persecuted yes. to look up to you, to trust you, yes. that you will complete what you have begun, yes. the work of bringing together those from the isles of the sea. Yes. It was started some time ago, but we know it must be completed. Yes. Help us to be your instruments in the completion of this work of restoration. Amen. Thank you so much, loving Abba, for listening to the prayers of your people. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.